Oh, hello. How's it going? Hey, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I'm recording, but I'm going to just use the uh, audio because uh, gotcha. this is one of my real podcasts. So, uh, I have bedhead. You know, I, I horrible bedhead today. Oh, it's all good. I'm just adjusting my headphones, getting my volume up. Does everything sound okay to you? Oh, yeah. Perfect. So I, you know, I met you through Frank. We were yeah. um, doing what was like a, a Zoom with a bunch of other photographers. Yeah. And you just had, for me, you had interesting things to say about photography, you know, things about maybe conceptual aspects of it and one one thing i could start with is a, a personal question was you're talking about using a black and white approach to even a digital you know camera so you you put like a number 25 red on a you didn't say that but i mean so you're putting filters how does that work like you know when you're doing color so i you know like i said if i know it's going to be black and white i don't it's these things aren't uh, afterthoughts or, you know, happy accidents. All these things are melodic to me. So if I know for a fact I am going to make this image black and white, then I will shoot the red over color. I won't convert anything because, you know, when you shoot raw, you can't set any of your cameras to black and white or whatnot. It shoots in color. So that's one of those things that you have to be conscious of if you're a raw shooter. If you shoot JPEG, it doesn't matter. Like, okay, doesn't matter at all. <laughs> um, I'm just getting my charger plugged in here, man. Oh no, there's no uh, no rules here. And so then your your process, you shoot a thing and you have your red filter on there, and then where would you go with it after that? So once I get into my, like, you're talking about, like, the workflow, like, yeah. editing or, okay, yeah. well, since since I am a printer, every photo I do decide to keep and edit, I definitely edit it up to print. So when I print, my minimum printing size, you know, for presentation is going to be 44 by 60 inches. Um, I'm sorry, 44 by 66 inches. That's very large. So, yeah, so when I'm doing my test prints, um, I'm doing about 17 by 22 inch test prints. So you have to shoot raw, a rather large sensor. Uh, but nowadays, I've been doing a Fuji. So I've been, I shoot Fuji, um, you know, for Candid, not for pro work, but for my personal work, for okay. sure. Um, I have an X10, the XF10, and I have an X-Pro2. My X-Pro2 has all the Zeiss lenses, so I'm pretty serious with it. So what I do with that raw image is now I got to think about converting it to that size. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm interpolating right away. Oh, right there. So I, yeah, right at the beginning because your edits will hide all the interpolation. So I did an internship with Blowup Lab and Blowup Lab are the printers for SF MoMA. They do some of the stuff for Pixar, um, just to name a few clients. So through that internship, I learned how to print large. I was printing large already. I was able to perfect it where I'm not afraid of people coming up and using their glasses even 
and being like inches away from my photo. I'm not afraid of that mm -hmm. uh, because I did learn this workflow. But if I had to recommend any sort of start for anybody, I would look into the the Topaz Labs AI plugins. Um, they, they're standalone and they plug in the Photoshop and Affinity Photo. But standalone is perfect. So AI Gigapixel is the one that'll do your interpolation. But there's a lot of work. Like auto isn't just going to suffice, as people will see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people will see. But th that's where I would start. There's a pretty healthy community, online community on there. So mm -hmm. there's definitely people engaged and putting up you know, examples of their work and how they're using it. Um, I, I don't know if people are actually printing, but, you know, to be able to shoot and crop and all that kind of stuff and then still get a sizable image, I think people still use it in those terms. Um, what, is I guess it, what is it doing, you know, in layman's terms to the image to make it, because obviously it seems impossible to make a small thing bigger, you know. Well, that's what you think, but, um, it just looks for its nearest neighbor and it just adds information. But like I said, this is just a step. There's a few different things and different ways to approach. So like, okay. you're not, not just limited. Back. Okay. Yeah. You're not just limited to that. So like, say you want to do this with a JPEG that you find from the internet, you add another step within this workflow. You can take a 400 kilobyte JPEG and then print it you know, 30, 24 by 36, easy. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, but Topaz Labs is what I would look into for sure. Um, is, are there other ways to do that? Like I've been doing these podcasts and I've been just using my little Fuji uh, X, you know, the little 100, and I've been mm -hmm. photographing the screen, you know, which I probably should do. And, um, you know, and that is a, a like sort of a quick and dirty way to get something that I could put into my WordPress. Because this, if I, if I think if I screen capture max, I think it's, what is it? Is it? I don't even know what the resolution of the screen is. It's just 72, isn't it? They call it retina, but does that really mean anything? Oh, I don't know. Uh, that's above my favorite grader, man. <laughs> I, uh, I stick to analog, you know, and it's pretty straightforward for me. I do everything by the numbers. So resolution means nothing to me. So uh, all I care about is if my screen's calibrated, if my client's giving me the opportunity to, to calibrate their screen. So we're looking at the same fucking thing. That's, There's no that's argument. A nice to start, right? Yeah, exactly. And then we can work from there. Um, but yeah, like all that retina display stuff, like as far as I knew, that was like consumer, like made things like automatic and, I don't want something adjusting to the ambient light. I need it to be consistent. And I don't well, want, I don't want to, to change. No, right. Yeah, I don't want it to auto anything at no. all, ever. No. Even your so. phones, now the phones have this thing where at night they're going to put a warmth on there so it's dark, it won't hurt you. I, I turn that all off. I just want it to look the same all the time. I just leave that warm filter on all the time so everything looks the same to me. But I'm not like yep. exchanging yep. work through my phone. I mean, right. if anything, I'm just reading about old you know, classic iPods and shit that I modify. <laughs> oh, what did you do to those? What did you do to those? So this one's 200 gigs. It has like 25,000 songs on it with a Bluetooth dongle. And I can go <laughs> in, into my cool. headphones. Uh, and I have it attached to this sometimes. 
here's another iPod. I got fancy. I I got a Gucci case for it. Just does. <laughs> um, but so I have cool. a a mini tube amp um, that puts out fifty five watts of energy. So if I just couple these, watts. hook this up to here, put this in my Bluetooth, I get. I mean, everything's at three twenty kilobit MP three, but this other one is going to be a five hundred twelve gigabyte only wave files. So no so, no compression. No compression. So it will be true hi-fi all the way through. Um, That's part of it is the Bluetooth dongle has to shoot out APTX, and you have to have a receiving headphone that does APTX. But that's oh. like the, the vintage slash retro slash contemporary way to get hi-fi Bluetooth. I like that. <laughs> you know, um, I was talking to an artist, and she brought up a thing that, that made me, I'll ask you this, you know, so she was saying that, and she's a photographer, um, mm -hmm. a professor. She was saying that she'd never been to an art show that affected her the same way that a concert had. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I guess it depends on what your expectations are. Um, you go to an art show, you don't expect to, depending on the show, either you know, have a conversation in between songs with your friends, slightly loud, missing bits and pieces, kind of inventing parts of the story while, you know, drinking, maybe having a drink. And if you're at a, at a show that caters this, moshing even. Yep. You go to an art show, I think people put on, a, put on an act and a character and try to act smarter than they really are. <laughs> um, that's just my opinion. I've, I've that. seen that. Yeah, so, uh, that's cool, I, right. But now I, what about as a medium, audio as opposed to visual? Have you ever, have you ever heard a song and it kind of got inside you? And for me, like song, music, I'm kind of a, I kind of a, 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 I'm an internalizer. So music forces me to sort of feel, whereas visually that can kind of happen, but not, I'm not as susceptible. Mm. So I've seen pictures, I've seen visual things that, now, moving pictures, maybe, but, you know, there's audio going on in a film. I think it's because um, when you're being entertained and being the spectator of an audio experience, it's passive as opposed to a visual experience where you have to put work into it. Um, you know, you're decoding a visual language rather than listening to lyrics in English. Right. Or Spanish or whatever yeah. language. I mean, I, I listen, I'm, you know, Mexican dude, so I listen to all languages, but, you know, it, it's a passive thing. Like, I'm not putting any effort into decoding what you're telling me and vice versa. But if I were to show you an image, you'd have to take a second to, like, review it and study it. Most people, if they hear music, they know right away, oh, I don't like it, or I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. But as, opposed, as opposed to an image, you know, a simple-minded person will can say, I like it or don't like it, or I could do better. But an educated person has to take a minute, you know, review their entire education and either understand the reference or understand why they do not like the work. But either way, someone's going to have something to say about why they don't like it. Now, that's an interesting thing. Why is it then in music you don't have to have that pre- you don't have to have that sort of primer. I think because there's a culture, mainstream culture that comes with it. I mean, 
what what the most people want to do is they want to belong to something and be accepted by people and if they don't like sports what's the next thing mm -hmm. i don't like sports you know the, mm -hmm. the next thing usually is what do you listen to mm -hmm. and it's not who's your favorite contemporary artist or what's your favorite photo you know what i mean yeah right it just it's going to depend on the on the audience and you know concerts typically are just concerts but if you go to a jazz concert or a symphony, that's an advanced spectator. That's just like going to an art show. Uh, is it? I mean, I know a lot of people that like jazz and classical music that don't really have a knowledge of, you know, theory. Uh, you know, um, I, I mean, so is it really, that's the thing about art that I don't understand is this, you know, if you, studied art and you learn about what art means and why it means this and what they used to do with it and what it turned into after that. I, you know, if it's you got just, halfway through that and you died, then you would only understand art on that level. And the people that made that art, the great masters, if, if they are, right. did they do that? Did they all study so that they could understand the art that they made before they Absolute, made it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, like, let's just take it back pretty far. So we'll talk about Roman times. Yeah. So in, the, in the fine art world, when we talk about Roman sculpture, it's always called a Roman copy because it's a copy of a Greek sculpture, typically. Right. So, you know, we're talking about a civilization pre-Roman, pre, you know, pre-Constantine, pre-Christianity. So we're going pretty far back. We're going to polytheism. We're not even at monotheism yet at all. Uh, they're referencing, you know, art from back then and bringing it forward. So now we're in Roman time. Right. Jesus Christ is alive, whatever. Let's fast forward, you know, 14, 1500 years from then even. They're okay. still referencing back to Roman times and, you know, redoing stories of byzantine era in between greek and roman like they, these people definitely do have a very high education in what they perceive as high art what does that mean what they perceive as high art well that's that's part of my personal work there is decolonizing western art so i've been doing this in my personal work probably go i think i'm going on 15 years now this year um and just talking about the conditioning that we all go through. And I, and I speak as Americans, I don't speak globally. So I grew up in South Texas, but the only art I ever got exposed to is like Michelangelo and like, you know, the fucking Renaissance and being from South Texas, not once was I exposed to any Mesoamerican art going on at the time or any sort of uh, Eastern art, you know, whether yep. it be Middle East or Asian, yep. I wasn't exposed to none of that. So like, you know, being like conscious of these things growing up, I always questioned why is this considered art and why isn't this considered art? Right. Or high art or, you know, then you get into these like, you know, labels of like folk art and like well why is it folk art it's because they're not educated but it's not that it's there is no concept or perception of art in some cases because they're just doing without not, reference to a past is that what you mean or 
or even reference to being creative or okay. create or any sort of creativity like okay. it's just they're, they're just doing things. they're simply they're making doing. Yeah. correct so that's what i those are my gripes with when i say what they perceive as high art right because who who are they who would they have been historically educators very simply so they perpetuate that culture exactly um, I just had this argument this semester with one of my educators about them perpetuating exactly that. I'm not going to mention their name because yeah, it's not. Yeah. But, they, but, we de but we definitely squashed it and they understood the direction I'm coming from. I'm not, I don't consider myself a sensitive person, dude. Like I went through combat in the military. Like I have a very dark sense of humor. I just notice things when things are fucked up mm -hmm. and I just point them out and I, and in a palms up manner, I'm not trying to be confrontational. Right. But that's just part of the work I do as well. Um, but that's who I perceive as they is just educators, aware or unaware, but just, just the way curriculums are written out and whatnot. And, and, and I'm, I'm assuming you could correct me. You're speaking of educators in art people who teach art at art schools or college or etc or, or anything i mean i can reference someone so if you look at the there's a, a art history director at yale university i'm sorry stanford it is yale it is yale okay um he proposed an idea but he's been getting emails from hate groups because of this pros proposed idea all he simply proposed was we change um, you know, history of art to survey of Western art. That's it. Survey of Western art. Okay. Correct. Rather than just the, I, I use the in quotes, art history. You, know, you got since, a lot of shit for that or? Yeah, he did. So that, that article's in art, artnews.net. Um, and that came out in February. Um, it came out around the same time. It, these two coincide, ironically enough. There's a lot of religious institutions buying up art schools across the country. SFAI was one of those prospective institutions. But since all this COVID-19 stuff happened, it, that's not happening. So, What did they have an interest in that for? I don't know, man. Um, you know, you get into conspiracies at this point, but I can only state facts. Uh, they, you know, the one school that got bought up in Tennessee had 148 students, and the first thing the new owners did was fire any non-Christian faculty. Uh, interesting parallel in music. Uh, I used to do a lot of endorsements for musicians and TV shows, and uh, back in the 80s when uh, digital music was coming into play, Gibson purchased all these technology companies and they would just, they would just shelf them. Like there's a company called visions who made a wonderful musical sequencing system that pretty much is what all DAWs became. And even pro tools was after visions. We loved it. We oh, all okay. loved it. And Gibson and Gibson bought it and just killed it. You know, and they bought all kinds of electronical things, uh, synthesizer companies. I think they bought Oberheim and, and, you know, so I wonder if that's, the part of what's behind all that is to sort of buy up opposing views and kill them. I mean that if you want to talk slight conspiracy, like you're talking facts with Gibson here, but 
Yeah. No one's, no one's done anything yet. And like, you know, this gets slightly political. I don't mind doing that. I, I'm not registered to vote, never voted. I'm nonpartisan. Um, but, you know, just to tread lightly, I mean, that that is a sense or a view. But, you know, we're talking about a Christian institution that did do this. The institution that was looking to buy us was USF and they're a Jesuit school. So a Catholic's institutional view is going to be slightly different than I would say a Christian or a Southern Baptist oh, view. Sure. Um, so I, I'm not sure what they're interested in because they have their own fine art department too. Um, but the rumor was that if they were to have, if the, if this deal were to have happened, we would be graduating from SFAI, but with USF degrees. That would affect what transferability or, or not necessarily, uh, I guess, legitimacy because, you know, it's SFAI is historically, uh, you know, a fine arts school, mostly male centric at the time, but it's converted and slightly shifted into like a very queer positive community so you're taking all these queer views and then now you're going to put them against like a very archaic religious standpoint uh i personally am catholic but i'm i don't i hey y'all do whatever the fuck y'all want i don't care like i'm i'm not god who the fuck am i to judge you i I don't care you don't affect my day-to-day i don't care so yeah that's interesting I wasn't afraid of, of being bought out because all that would do is legitimize my personal artwork even further, which is already problematic to most people. I'm so not going to promote your, that. You don't, you, wait, oh, I'm sorry. You say you don't uh, want to talk about that? Like, uh, it's, not, it's not that. I'm not here to like promote that. I, I'll talk about it, but like, I'm not here to like. Well, I, I just hope to have a um, – I have no expectation for this conversation. It's already exceeded my expectation. My, my, <laughs> You know, okay. We're, we're definitely having an interesting talk. I mean, I like to talk to people who are smarter than me, which I think is happening right here. And, um, and I just think it's an interesting thing you're speaking of, you know I mean? Um, but don't say anything you, that you feel uncomfortable about. I would not ever want to ask you to do that. Oh, no, that's all good. I just want to sit here like, oh yeah, check out, you know, my work. Like I don't, I well, don't, I don't still work. I don't show anything. Well. I, mean, I, think more, I think people that listen to this conversation, if they feel that there's something that connects to them, they will check it out regardless. They'll search it out. Cool. That's what I think. I mean, um, ha- now, uh, historically, hasn't uh, uh, religion played a large part in art? You look it has, art. but I mean, think about what they're doing. I mean, you know, they're not going out, you know, doing a, uh, I don't know, doing stuff like Wiccan or anything like that. I mean, they're doing stuff pretty traditional. So, like, this is a conversation I had the other day in my print history class. Yeah. Think about this, Ken. You're fucking taking illiterate people who have never, they're landlocked, you know? They've never, they don't know what a body of water looks like. Like, a body of water to them is like the fucking bucket that they just pumped out of their own well, you know? Yeah. So, you know, these people all of a sudden get patronized by these like elegant, smart people speaking with this $5 language, yeah. you know, compared to their shillings. And the first thing they're telling them is about Moses parting the ocean. What the fuck does the ocean look like? Well, let me describe it to you. Yeah. You know, that whomever is describing them the ocean at the end of that conversation, they're telling them 
and God made this for you. Like that's, I think that's where historically religion had its part in art is describing these descriptions and the most marvelous of visuals. But the point being that God created all these things for, for us, for me, for you, whether you believe that or not, but that's just how the conversation starts. You know, oh. these people, like I said, they don't know what the ocean looks like and you're oh. telling them what it looks like. And at the end of it, you're telling them it's for them because some guy in the sky made it for them. Right. So the, so the, so I jump around a lot. So no, print, is a, print is a really interesting thing to do for a photographer because <laughs> print is such a uh, historically, it's a power position, isn't it? I mean, printers in the past have used the language of, of uh, imagery and, and words to influence. And to spread information, uh, you know, the freedom of press is, I mean, that comes from that concept, you know. Right. So it's kind of important to, you know, as to who gets the press, who gets the, gets to push that button and lay out that, you know, thing. I mean, what what is it about print that makes you, that what what appeals to you about print? Not a lot of photographers print well, let alone, you know, get into it. If they even consider it. Right, right. I mean, a lot of people shoot their whole lives and never print, never think that printing is important. How is printing important to you? How is printing important to photography? Important. Hey, I think I'm, I think I'm losing you here, Ken. Okay. You need to get a Wi-Fi. I need a Wi-Fi. Yeah, I'm up, I'm up on my roof. I'll just get on my mobile data here. It should be good now. You sound good. Cool. So how is printing important to a photographer? Does it change your game at all? or, 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 I, or think it, I think it does. So, God damn it, I forgot my lighter. Um, that sucks. <laughs> uh, that's all good. I think it does because, so just to touch really quickly on, like, why my work's problematic. I worked yeah. with, with only nude models for like uh, it was before the army. So probably about 10 years straight. Um, but one of the biggest things was most models don't get to see what they look like in print. So I always gave people print. Like I have my own print lab, so getting shit to me. And that's always like the game changer is like, oh, this is what it looks like. And then since it's of good quality and it's not just some Walgreens horse shit or, you know? Yeah. It makes it more impressive, but it also changes my game. I guess I can show you really quick. Is I have access to stuff like this. I've got my little pan here, my contact printer, so I can print my own acetate on my 7900 and get my own negatives this size, make my own contact prints. And going back to Freedom of Press, I can print my own zines and make my own art history notionally so to speak you know these are sanotypes yep so like what's to stop me from giving that to anybody so print not only is a game changer it's the equalizer especially nowadays like no one's fucking going to art art shows and shit like they're getting all streamed online 
well, what's to stop me from running around and just throwing my own little fucking curated pamphlets into like the free Guardian, you know, newsstands outside? Who's going to stop me? Like, freedom of press. And how does that affect? Well, let's take a, a society that I have a bit of understanding, which is skateboarding. Like, let's say that I, I actually come, you know, contemplated making a skateboard scene a couple of years ago, like an all film skateboard scene. You had to be a film photographer, you had to shoot skateboarding, all the film. And, you know. See, I think that's, that's the problem is uh, all these f- fucking photographers trying to separate themselves. Like, photographer is a photographer. Like, why does it matter if you shoot film or not? It doesn't validate you more. Like, if you still don't print, you're not shit. <laughs> that's how I look at it. Well, how would that if if I produce that product? How would that how would that have an effect on the skateboarding on my skateboarding friends, the people that I know? See, I don't know your friends personally, but if I want to stereotype that skateboarding, you know, community, I mean, it's all about that DIY, you know, get information out. So, like. Why does it matter if it's film or digital if, if the same medium that it's going to be printed on is laser print, let's say, or, you know, Xerox? Like, what I don't understand is how is that going to translate? Like, if you're putting in the effort towards film photography, sure. But, I mean, that's like a day-old conversation and argument. I don't – I've never argued about that. Like, I don't know why well, I don't that matters. Think that- I don't think that film photography is better. I actually thought that would be an interesting zine because that's what the instrument was used to create that zine. You know, and, and there's a lot of people that shoot skateboarding photography and um, I don't think that they should shoot film, but mm-hmm. I thought it would be interesting to see a zine made from people who happen to have that uh, who happened to enjoy that process. So it wasn't like a, a thing about it being better. It was mm-hmm. just that it would be like a, a different angle. And, and, and you know, and, a, and again, a way to, to, I'm always looking for a different view, I guess. I, I understand but, it. And I'm always cynical of these things. Like, yeah. and I think it's just because when I went to school, it was like going to, I went to pre-engineering school and I decided not to be an engineer. So when I went for photography, you know, it was learning by numbers and shooting in studio and it yeah. wasn't about fine art. There was not one conversation about concept. It was just about the math and the technical. Yeah. So it, it doesn't, I, I don't know, like, it just feels weird. It'd be like a, I can't, I can't compare it to anything else because I don't know anything else. I'd be like, if just to be candid, um, having a shooting competition yeah. where you're only allowed to shoot bullets that you pressed yourself. Right. I can see that. So, but like, I, me, I, can, right. yeah. I can see, like, it's the, that's going to be a person that enjoys shooting and that's going to invite a certain echelon of person. But as opposed to shooting guns, I think when, uh, this is just me again, when I yeah. hear film photography, film exclusive, only film, it's like, it's a way so people can look down their nose to justify that they're better than XYZ photographer. 
is how I've always perceived it. So I've always opted out of playing that. I shoot film. I do. I don't shoot. I shoot everything. If you can tell what's what, cool. If you can't, that's cool too. Right. Well, no, I don't have that um, premise behind it. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I was just, and my question really is like, what would that pamphlet, that zine do in the hands of a culture of skateboarders? And I don't mean just skateboarders. If you don't know that culture or the one that I know, then, you know, what does, what does physical print do if you do hand it out to people as, as opposed to digital information? Well, or is there a difference? If we, if we ignore right now, because we're, you know, we're at social distancing, but before all this social distancing stuff, I always liked having something tangible. So I think when a person sees something tangible and can feel it, whether it's their work or their image, there's something rewarding about that. Um, because I think, you know, I, I don't, I only speak for myself, but I think the younger, younger generations desensitized to imagery and photography. Like, you know, now I'm wary whenever I see a fucking camera come out because it's like, well, where are you posting this shit? As opposed to back in our days, like we just, we're just out with a camera. Oh, I do this. Like, here's my website. But now it's like kind of confrontational. I feel like it's, uh, it's beyond bearing witness. Now it's just to have evidence you know how did you become conditioned to be to feel that way when a camera's pulled out uh, I think it's just the me myself um, the way I was taught about photography is you don't pull your fucking camera out unless it's something serious so like I said I went to it to do it professionally and I did the only thing I've ever, ever done is photo and in the army and be in yeah. the army. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like a hobby. So I wasn't walking around the street taking photos like all over the fucking place because it wasn't a business I was doing, you know? Right. Uh, and, and again, I, I wasn't doing fine art, like none of that stuff. So I think my conditioning comes from, you know, just seeing people interact and, you know, the whole selfie intervention. And yeah, I, I think it's silly. Um, and it just makes me wary now because now we're in an age of surveillance. Um, oh, I, I'm okay. aware. I mean, there's cameras everywhere. I get it. You know what I mean? But like everyone's trying to be famous and be a YouTube star. And if they can like photograph the weirdest person or the weirdest incident, it'll put them on the map. Not for very I mean, long, right? Not for very long. But I mean, there's so many compilations of just that. And like, that breaks for me the fine art barrier um because you know I, I hate to say it but like cell phones made it the equalizer for photography yeah. and the concept absolutely but now because of cell phones print makes it a you know the grown-ups game you know what i mean everyone wants a printer everyone wants to have their stuff printed if, if they have a one-stop shop as opposed to, I'll shoot your photos and I'll send them to Costco. Yeah. They're, hi they're hiring a photographer who's claiming to be an artist. But if you can meet or beat that expectation, going back to print again, that, that's what makes it the game changer. And I think it's going to change now even. Because so is that, we're, yeah. Is that uh, kind of what you talked about with the, the film photography, that 
you're using printing as a way to stand out? Not necessarily, because I don't sell anything. I, I'm not even trying to be this fine art stuff. I'm just getting my degree to go back and work for the government. And I've been very open and public about that. Mm. So like, I don't, I'm not your typical artist. I, I consider myself a tactician. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in the past, I always repaired cameras or built lenses. I was never about that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the only time I did anything outside of that was I was a boudoir photographer for money. So mm -hmm. I photographed people having sex all the time. I don't mm -hmm. do that anymore. But I mean, that was, you know, that was living literally across the street over there 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. You know, so th yeah. that was that long ago. Yeah. That, that you know, thing about equalization, um, I know people that do pretty well with their telephones who photograph objects and things mm -hmm. and they get paid what they used to pay people that I used to work for who, right you know we used to I used to I was an assistant for a woman and you know we did um, all the um, you know pop magazines like people and and uh, star and TV guide you know back in the uh, 80s yeah yeah and so people now can do that you know we can actually make a pretty good living with their cell phones. Um, and I, it, that doesn't really bother me, but it bothers a lot of photographers. Do you have any ideas on that or thoughts? It doesn't bother me. Uh, me personally, it doesn't. Um, just because, you know, the position I held out here beforehand, I competed with photographers like that and I can prove why they are not good. But if you're fucking what now is that because they're holding a cell phone it's not that it's so i photograph fabric and that stuff needs to be look exactly like it does on a computer screen exactly like it does in person exactly like it does in print can't do that with a cell phone if you're starting just from a jpeg even if the cell phone shoots raw i mean does it even have the ability to start at adobe rgb 1998 because that's the standard in print and then, you know, do you have the ability to export that JPEG? This is, if we're ignoring the Topaz workflow I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. But just coming natively, not knowing shit, like, you know, the quality doesn't hold up. And I tested these people with cell phones, with Fuji cameras, with Canon full frame. And they always resorted back to the Canon full frame. Always. But, in, but I've seen people in marketing where lots of money's being exchanged hands, where they're not looking at that with that level of scrutiny. I mean, I think the things that they're posting are only lasting maybe a, a day or two. Yeah, they see, I see very well. You know, they don't really, they're not doing any kind of calibration. You know, they're literally just making pictures. Yeah, just, yeah. I, and I see that. And, you know, part of it comes from their celebrity if you play that game. And, Kudos to them. I mean, that's hard work. I don't, I can only imagine what it would be like if I decided to try to do a YouTube thing now. Man, fuck that. Like, <laughs> so I think, you know, nowadays if in that age, you know, I'm not competing in that space, so I don't care. Right. Um, yeah. You, if you're, if you're, in, if you're a social media, socialite, whatever the fuck the influencer, right. Yeah. That's hard work and that's full time. And you're making yourself very fucking public. 
I mean, I think there's an, there's, there should be a reward for that too. I mean, people drop out of school to go do this stuff and they make more money than you and I put together, you know? Right. But, but there is hard work to that. And I'm not saying you're not putting in any, but I, I'm definitely not, you know? So that's why I don't, I don't have a strong opinion over it, but you know, the kinds of stuff they're submitting for it last minutes cares. It's not going to, it's not going to end up in any sort of textbook. It's not going to end right. up in a museum. You know, is that validated somehow? Um, for me, it would validate myself because that's the space I'm critiquing. I'm not critiquing social media. So that's why I've never really had a strong thought on it. But I know a lot of people who do critique social media, but I know that they don't have the aspiration as far as being photographers and being in any sort of museum capacity with that body of work. But I do know of performance artists who do critique social media visually and through performance, who do sure. have that expectation one day of being in a museum and whatnot. So I, I don't really have an opinion myself about all that just because it doesn't affect my day-to-day -day professionally or doesn't affect me conceptually in, in my thinking. Right. Do you, so you, now just to understand so you, you do photography, you're doing your education, you said to go back to, did you say military or? Uh, work for the government. To work for the government. And, um, and that's your goal. That is what satisfies you. That's like the thing you're chasing basically. Yeah, I'm tired of talking about uh, people and I'm tired about contemplating concepts. I'm here to execute. So in all these spaces I've existed in, including in fine art, the only space that's allowed me to literally be myself is in the government space, the federal that's space. That's really fascinating. That's it's really, really fascinating. weird. It's, yeah, it's really weird. So like- Why, why is it weird? Well, because what everyone's afraid of, Big Brother and this and that, like they know everything about me and I'm the most free person that I know. <laughs> that's why is that? Can you, can you articulate that? Uh, why is it that I'm more free or why yeah, is it that? Uh, because, right. Well, like, I have my entire education paid for. Granted that I did work and pay for that while in, while in the Army. You know, believe it or not, they do take a portion of your paycheck out of that the first year you're in. Um, secondly, I mean, I, I have these issues. Like, for example, I had an ADHD thing diagnosed through them so now they've given me the medication i need to deal with it yeah and in my candidness i told them i used you know street narcotics to deal with that adhd and because i was able to articulate how it affected me they knew this guy's adhd he's not some amphetamine addict okay so they worked with me including me smoking pot you know i have ptsd and all that shit yeah imagine if i tried articulating that with an employer Right. You know that's, what I mean? Right. I mean, that's because culture, so we're not there. So that, 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 yeah, that's one route of freedom I've got. One second here. My second one is all the, all the work, artwork I make and my personal work, they look at it and they pick and choose what they want to keep. Okay. So I know someone is appreciating what I'm doing as opposed to while I'm in class, I just get shit on all the time. <laughs> you know, so right. That's but what I mean that, by trying to make you supposedly better, aren't they? 
or is it or is it different than that why are you getting shit on in a classroom setting it all comes down to me being a straight dude with a beard it always comes down to that how is that how does that mess things up or does it it doesn't affect my day-to-day but i don't get any sort of constructive criticism technically or conceptually because it always just comes down to me being a guy with a beard like what really because what does the beard do is it makes you common or it makes you a highbrow or is it makes you what is i think it i think it makes me more inhabitant of a masculine presenting body but i've never Uh once called myself a man and i refer to my penis as female so that's why these dichotomies are weird to me like because i see you and that's what they perceive they see the beard and they perceive. well it's not that so this is a this is a social concept and construct that i'm working on but i i am the victim of what i call imposed duality and it, it goes beyond a, okay go it, ahead. Com- it goes beyond a stereotype you know what i mean and it it goes to it goes through an expectation okay so like this imposed duality is from people that i've known for a few years now not just someone i meet and never seen again so even though that they do know you know what my work's about i can talk about in class they've read my fucking papers it always just comes back down to how i present so this imposed duality of oh this this guy's a combat veteran with a beard he probably votes trump he's a republican he's a misogynist you know he's in the nra like i that's how people perceive me around here but like i said judgment expectations it's a yeah it's a prejudgment expectation but this imposed duality also comes because I'm also not white, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then there's also this other expectation that I should also be supportive of, 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 of everybody's plight because I should understand that. Okay. You know what I mean? So that doesn't make sense to me because you expect me to be, you know, palms up and open arms with your fucking problems. Yeah. But you, but you expect me to allow you to shit on me because I fit this stereotype of the oppressor yeah ah oh, yeah oh, you know what i mean the, there therein lies the duality exactly i could see that so like i said the only space i've been allowed to be myself is through the government man you know that's not a real common thing to hear i i know it's not and that's why I, I work on things just beyond this that we're speaking of. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to allude to too much more. I'd rather it solidify before I start talking about it. But um, No problem. Uh, uh, so let me ask you another, I, again, I bounce around. So sure, sure. I think I asked you before about this, but like when did your photography, was it always, you know, I'll get, you know, like I, when I used to shoot pictures and I didn't know what the hell I was doing for most of my life. And then, at a certain point, I kind of realized I, I'm, I like to make this, you know, and I want to tell this story. Um, when did your photography or did it ever come into its own? You know, when did you get a style? Is there such a thing as a style? I think there is because I, I think people know my photos and they see them. Who do know me on a personal, I'm, like I said, I'm not some artist that's out there, but, you know, in this visual culture, I, I can send a photo to an educator and they'll know that it's still mine. Mm-hmm. you know, from 10, 15 years ago. Um, to answer your question, though, I would say probably about 
think about 2006 is when I solidified my personal workflow. So then by then I had my own dark room. Um, you know, digital was still rich man's game. I had a digital camera. At that time, I had a D60, the original Canon D60. Yep. Then I upgraded to the Canon 10D. And I had that for a very long time until I got my, my 1DS Mark II. Uh, I would probably say, yeah, I would say about 06 is when I realized, you know, I like West German pre 60s Zeiss glass for my okay. personal work. Okay. W why? Um, two reasons. So mostly all conceptually, but Zeiss in the turn of the century, we're talking from the eight, 18, 1900s. They're the only company in their employees creed that accepted any employees, religion, ethnicity, you know, country of origin, and then lastly, their domestic practices. Mm -hmm. So that's a kind way of saying, you know, homosexual. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with being that kind of openness in Germany in that time, and still, you know, going anti-Nazi, it made me feel and realize that I'd be representing people properly. Okay. So the background of the glass. Absolutely. Absolutely. That def that shit definitely matters to me. That makes sense. For money, it doesn't matter. Like if I'm photographing objects, I don't give a fuck. If I'm photographing people, it will always be with West German Zeiss glass from the pre-60s. So that, does that glass, because of what happened, do you feel that it embodies something, you know, untangible that is also reflected in the actual imagery? Uh, no, um, it's just part of the, you know, you know, more than anybody, the imagery doesn't sell. It's the person and the character. Yeah. Right. So that's just it's part really of the character. Selling, isn't it? In the end, you're really selling Michael. I mean, if, if I want to go that route, sure. I mean, it, it, at the end of any photographer's career, you're selling yourself. Yeah. So that's why I don't care about these Instagram. Like, I don't care. Like, don't matter. Right. I'm not selling myself. I don't care. This is just for me personally. Right. But anything you make, it's got you in it some, somehow. Well, absolutely. It's it, my hands in it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. What is this view? What is this view I'm looking at? Uh, oh, it's my rooftop. I'm just trying to smoke my little spliff here. Yeah. Um, I don't like doing tobacco indoors. It's pretty gross. Oh, you don't like to get it on the, on the gear or? Uh, no, my wife doesn't smoke and uh, okay. I don't think I, I, and I don't think I should, uh, suscept people to that kind of shit. Like, sure. It's a free, it's a free country, but like, you know, don't be a fucking asshole either. <laughs> you know. How did you meet Frank? At SFAI. Okay. Uh, I, I, I used to sit in a lab with Frank, you know, for maybe a year or two. And I took a class or two with him, you know, and I never, I did that podcast with him and I learned a lot about him, you know. Um, there's a lot more to him than I realized. Oh, uh, yeah, he's, he's a sharp tech. I like yeah. him. <coughs> yeah, he's quite a bit younger than me too. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
he's um he's, he's I like I've always liked Frank too. I, I was just starting these podcasts right before he left to go to school mm. with you, and mm. uh, and so we didn't ever get to do it. But um, yeah, well, I find that interesting. Um, what about print? Let's go back to print. You know, like sure. What is it about print that makes you do it? Continue to do it? You know, chase that. Uh, I mean, I feel like it goes hand in hand with visual culture. Uh, you know, it, it's part of the history of it. I mean, if we didn't have all these stupid fucking cell phones and we just only had laptops still, like I still think print would be way more relevant than before. Um, or I'm sorry, way more relevant than now. Yeah. Um, but I think it's relevant because it's one of those things that people don't want to tread because they know that there is an additional hard work to it. Does that fall into our previous conversation about film? That there's and some... Not necessarily. It, it, it's, defi it's definitely a thing of exclusivity. So like a shit costs money. And like, yeah. I mean, the only reason I can afford it is I'm medically retired out of the military. So like, I realize I do have that privilege, but I also realize that when I pursue these art degrees and I use quotes with that, or I do any of these personal art projects, that's all vanity bullshit, man. Like you go get a fine art degree, that's vanity. You know, if you expect to have a career and have like, you know, this money coming from that, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're absolutely wrong and just live in reality and be realistic, you know? And I think that's why I appreciate kids like Frank, like, cause he is realistic and he is grounded in reality. He's not walking around with rose colored glasses, you know? Like is there a lot, a lot of, of that in art school? That rose colored glasses sort of? Uh, absolutely. Um, because I think once you get a, a degree that costs you $250,000, you feel like you're entitled to these things that you talk about in class. What do you reckon the reality will be for people that get that, you know, the, for the rose covered people? Well, right now, I mean, everyone's going home and that school's shutting down forever. So whoever's invested money in that school is kind of fucked because, you know, you can only transfer out X amount of credits. Yeah. So I think this is going to be the humbling equalizer where it's going to separate people with and without resources. And I think it's going to be a humbling moment for people once they realize that nobody owes you a fucking thing. Nobody owes you shit. Right. And that's, that's the problem with people who go to school to talk about themselves. Like, and you know, you go to fine art school, it's about telling your story and who's going to listen to it. But I think kids are going to realize very hard and very soon that, vanity all this shit's vanity you're not changing the world you're not curing cancer like it's all vanity what um when do you do you know anything about like when art became uh about advocacy as, a, as opposed to i mean is, is art is art and, and is art all the same because of that in other words if i go to a show or if i go to a museum is it just all advocacy now Advocacy in the sense of like um, um, people tell what you just said about people. They go to art school and they learn that they have to tell their story about themselves, and they have to. They don't know if anybody's even going to want to look at that story. Uh, is there another? I don't think. 
I don't think people go in with that idea. I think they go in with the idea that people are going to listen to their story. They do. They think that. I think that. And then um, is art being made that's not advocacy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But those people are far and few between. I mean, you know, now we're talking about if we're going not about photography, we're talking about like graphic designers, you know, people that solve problems in that sense. So, you know, people that make your dollar bill all the way up to people that create the signage to direct traffic. Like, I mean, that's art too, you know, whether you want to realize that or not, you know, it does contain elements of art, you know, you still have your Z pattern. So it's easy to read, you know, you still have this concept of kerning and shifting your text. So it's legible, you know, what you're doing essentially in your fine art is doing exactly that. You're just making and articulating your story. So it's legible for everyone else visually, but then you can go into that abstract conceptual stuff where it's catered to an advanced spectator. So, you know, I think people that do that advanced spectator stuff understand that that stuff's not for everybody. You know, and I think that's typically a person that does realize that they have a privilege and come from privilege. And this is a vanity degree, as opposed to someone who's fresh out of home. I want to be the next, you know, National Geographic photographer, but then they end up at a fine art school rather than a technical school. So you get like these students who approach school how I used to like a university kind of deal, but with the consciousness and this like in this instilled mentality that and this comes just from the generation and i am very and i am speaking very broadly but like that everybody's special and everybody's an individual so when you nurture that for a long time people feel inclined to have to tell their story because they feel like they're not just um entitled to but they're also empowered to okay so then you know, it gets to some people's head when you do have this power, like now you do understand you have this education, you're able to visually and conceptually speak about your work and yourself and your identity. So like, I even I guess I feel that stereotype too. I'm not expecting anything of it. But as of this semester, I, I just started creating work focused on myself and my personal experience as an American. But I also just realized that I am, I guess, sort of an artist, so to speak, in the same time I'm doing this. So, you know, I, I could just be speaking on a stereotype, too, because I, I also just fell into it. But I'm not expecting anyone to pay me to do this shit. What, what got you, you know, going that way? What got you chasing that? Um, I think it's because of the dual degree that I'm pursuing. So... You know, I've been with the same students for quite a bit. And, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I shoot mostly nude people and it's problematic for whatever fucking reason. Uh, enough of that argument. Um, I felt like with print, I could speak more because I don't have to be present to speak about the work because now I can use words and join it with the visuals and then make a book out of it, for example. Okay. So like part of that print degree, I know how to bind books. I know how to make a one page zine folded up, whatever. I, I can do anything now. Right. Like I, I made a book out of a computer screen. So like I, I can do anything. 
so that, that's cool. part that's of cool. that's part of print so like you know some of the stuff i've done like i showed you that stop sign yeah um and i i just showed you the cyanotype or whatever um yeah and this is some letterpress stuff so like you know i can give you a visual story so it's called i shoot cans and this is a conversation i overheard during ranger selection so these two dudes are talking about shooting guns back at home one guy says he shoots cans and this is what he means by cans so you know i hear quite a bit of them but at the end he forgot about the last one mm -hmm. that's where i use the mirror because you know at the end of the day we're all americans yep so the actual title of my book is unhyphenated mm -hmm. because yeah. this prefix i don't agree with this prefix like I'm American, period. You know what I mean? I, I hate this, again, dual, this this imposed duality of, well, he's Mexican-American. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not racist, but, like, I'm not born in Mexico either. Mm -hmm. Those you know expectations I mean? that you exactly. have to, Yeah. So, you know, that's, like, one of those things. Like, what are you doing for Sequel de Mayo? Like, what does that have to do with me? Like, right. Why do you ask me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, why are you asking me? So that that's what I mean by imposed duality. Like, it could come from a friendly point standpoint yeah. even but like it's yeah. still imposed right um so with print i can just tell you directly what it is you know like you can broadcast quotes, that and that's and that's the title if you're educated enough to decrypt that that's cool but if i wanted to get more direct like the cyanotype one there's the words and there's the abstract about the imagery inside so I can take it in both directions and I can take it. This is the humbling part about it all is I've taken my entire fucking education and simplified it down to just one cyanotype. So anybody can take it and understand it. And it's, it's no longer about the technical aspect of the photo. If I want to take it in this direction in like free press and this is my art history book, like, those are the potentials to these kinds of things. Like there's no one stopping you. That's why I think print's relevant because people still have to adhere to Instagram's guidelines. People still have to adhere to Google's guidelines. Like yeah. I'm not saying go kill people and take photos or like go take your dick out and put it on Instagram. It's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But if you have something in a fine art context, a legitimate fine art context, and it's still getting flagged, like there's a censorship there, whether it be, Yes. You know, your verbiage or your your visual content. That makes sense. So in print, you have a wider, as an artist, you have a wider spectrum to... You have a wider spectrum, but you have a much less demographical reach, clearly. So, right. you know, that's one of those things, like, are you going to sell out and go make money, or are you just going to continue and do this stuff for yourself and give it to people who do matter to you and who are your target audience? Do, do you get anything from that process of making print personally? Do I get anything? Yeah. Um, is it, is I it still flex. Anyway? I, yeah, I still flex the technical part of my brain because, you know, I don't have a photo studio to do these darkroom techniques. So, like, you have to think of these things technically on how to do it. And I work big, so I, I can show you, like, very briefly, like, yeah, what you, it looks big, like. you can't just do that in the kitchen sink, can you? Yeah, no shit. So I've got my whole setup here. Um, what I typically do is I've got a red flashlight. 
I put right up there on that yeah. metal hinge uh, and I just turn it on and everything's red in here. I put that big pan here. Um, but what I do for my developing is I've got a water sealed tube. I roll my paper into that tube and I wash in here. I develop in here. I fix in here. Uh-huh. So uh, any process that has to do with anything wet that needs space, I just yep. roll it up in here and do it. That's kind of neat. And that is that tube a specific, uh, you, did you make that or is that something you can purchase or? Oh no, this is a byproduct. So this is a tube that Ruby lift comes in. So like uh -huh. all, all I did was do, I took that and then where the fuck is that sealant? I took a water sealant and I mm -hmm. sprayed it. Um, you know, that shit, that flex tape stuff that you see on TV here. Yeah. I just use this stuff and sealed the bottom end mm -hmm. of it. And then I just sealed the inside of the cap at the top and around the rim. So it just has somewhat of a watertight seal. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, you just fucking do. Yep. You're not making yep. cocktails here, you know. <laughs> but then this is like all my chemicals and stuff. Yeah. I, I like keeping Ilford Chrome just, mm -hmm. you know, just because I can. The last yep. my cyanotype mix. You know, it's all right. black and white stuff. Frank has my color stuff right now. Okay. Giant clips, you know. I usually only work in 120. I have 35 millimeter in case. Yeah. Get the wild itch up my ass to shoot smaller for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and again, printer A, printer B, yep. laser printer. That's definitely... <laughs> that's, that's that's some the printing that's definitely some money yeah yeah it, it, it is um i got lucky i got the i got this cannon here for 200 bucks from one of wow. the dudes I, I worked with at blow up lab so in california you know real estate costs money yeah this dude wanted this out of his room because because he you know he's confined to a room rather yeah. than an entire fucking apartment yeah. so i took it off his hands hell yeah Dang. And like, you know, I, I just been getting, I have a whole stock of inks like ready. So mm -hmm. I print quite a bit. Um, the Epson I got for free. <coughs> the Epson I got for free um, out of an art gallery. Um, but because the yellow channel doesn't work. So okay. I only use that for black and white and for my acetate. But that's the 24 inch, the 7900. You can't finagle that thing to get that yellow to get working again? Is, there, is that at the head? Or I, the... I, it, it's a, it's the head and it's not worth. Okay. I, I, I was going to do a piezograph machine out of it, but I'm yeah. in the middle of a move. So I'm going to do that once I get to my new location. Okay. okay. But I'm going to do a carbon piezograph and do proper negatives rather than inkjet acetate negatives, you know? I, I love the way you're washing your film and, you know, fixing it and developing it. I'm wondering, do you think um, that affects what you're making? Meaning, meaning that um, sometimes artists sort of back themselves into corners, or the, or they enjoy limitations. Well, because, I, you know, I know what I know what luxury feels like. So okay, you've done I it know the other what, way. I'm sorry. You've done it the other way, where it's real easy and. Oh yeah, where it's easy and you have all the space in the world, and you know, running the water doesn't fucking matter, and all that. Like. Mm -mm. Here, 
it's a lot more controlled, but I feel like I'm just reverted back to my old ways where everything is intentional. I'm not experimenting. Like I knew I needed a way to, to wash that. That was an experiment. That was my solution. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I knew I needed a printing. I knew I, knew I needed a washing tray or the, yeah. a coating tray. I wasn't going to go order some $200, you know, photo tray. I just, mm-hmm. I just went down to the smart and final and got a commercial grade cooking sheet. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. You know, right. my contact, my contact printer is legit though. It is from a, the f- uh, photo formulary. Oh yeah. That, that company. Yeah. yeah I really have that. Awesome. I have their 16 by 20 inch contact printer. I love it. That's cool. I love it. It's that's the best investment I've made as far as doing cameraless imagery. Mm, yeah. For cam- cameraless imagery. Cause you're not just limited to having to do the acetate. Like you can take your own negatives, your own four by four, whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> right. That's so cool. I, I, yeah, I think, um, I, I, I think I've, you know, got a lot of information from you. Um, I feel like maybe one of these days we could talk again. What, what is this? Oh, this is a three, a three layer gum by chromate from that contact printer. My goodness. And it's on, it's uh, mounted on metal. Yeah. It's beautiful. Wow. That is beautiful. Yeah. Thanks buddy. One of these days uh, when I won't, will not infect you and you will not infect me. I'll have to come personally see things you're making, you know, I, I hey, I'll be in Austin, man. So you're more than welcome. I'm going to okay. have twice the space that I do here. So that's cool. That's cool. I'll, I'll, well, I'll take a train or a plane out there. I'm sure it'll be cheap. I'll get oh, to yeah. see all this fun <laughs> stuff. Just to me, I know you're, a, you're doing this very intentionally, but to me it looks kind of fun as well, but, you know, because of my perspective. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely not stressful. Um, as long as you know what you're doing and you just carefully read what you're mixing and read the directions, you know, measure twice, cut once. Right. <laughs> That's an old uh, art school adage, right? Yeah. Or, you know, put your pants on one leg at a time. Like don't rush this. Right. Yeah. I really like what you do. And I, and this conversation has exceeded my, I'm sorry to say expectations. I know you, you don't, there's sometimes they can be negative, but um, I think I don't mind that imposed duality, man. What is it? I said, I don't mind your imposed duality. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you kind of got me excited, you know, because I talked to a lot of people, nothing negative towards anybody else, but I was hoping to, you know, get excited about these types of things and learn something. And yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really um, am thankful to you for giving me your time, you know. And, and hey, well, thanks for the opportunity to just have this even documented. <laughs> exactly. And um, I look forward to checking up on you at some point in the future and seeing, you know, what you're chasing then, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, because I, I find it interesting. Yeah. Now, do you want anybody to uh, creep on you here? Is there like a, you know, a... Uh, some 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 place people can see your thing or hear what I mean, you talk about or I'm I'm a real person. I, I don't care, you know, you go to my website, my website will take you to my LinkedIn and all that shit and my Instagram. So I I'm out there. Like I don't advertise it, but I am out there. Uh website ww.chaoticneutral.me. 
C-H-A-O-T-I-C-N-E-U-T-R-A-L.me. Mm-hmm. So, then, oh, I, got, I have a final question for you. So, I, yes, think, sir. I think you've already answered this, but a friend of mine who's a, a photographer and really despises film, uh, <laughs> she was saying that, what's the point of film? You know, you make all the stuff, you have fun doing it, and you the process, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, you scan it, you know, either with... Uh, Oh, that was, uh, what's your name from last pot, uh, Zoom Great, meeting? Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So does that, is that the way film works? Do you have to print it, you know, in chemicals, in a, in, under a red light, you know, to, to really have it be what? Legit? I don't know. What's, you know. Um, well, definitely possible. not because, you know, inkjet prints hang in the MoMA all the time. Um, Blow Up Lab in the year 2000, publicly announced that they were no longer going to be a web wet lab and they were only going to be an inkjet printing lab. So, you know, that, you know, that Frank McGrath, he's a, he's an Adobe advisor and he advises Epson on these machines too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that should tell you something there. The tides are changing. Yeah. I mean, they've been changed. Changed. And they've been changed. So <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, your inkjet print's gonna last longer than any color print that you do in chemicals because your color prints have to be refrigerated. Your inkjet prints don't. They're automatically 200 year archival. And then you can make them even further archival if you buy the more expensive shit. Really? So like, I mean, I just print on enhanced matte for my black and white. I I love that shit. Um, And I print on satin for my color, but on cheap shit. So like, I like Red River, you know, Red River's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like Epson enhanced matte paper the most. I like matte too. And a lot of people hate matte. I think it's cause it's harder to work with. So I think people hate matte because it's a historical hate. Cause remember printing the darkroom with like Ilford fiber matte. Yeah. I mean, people how long did, how long did that shit take you to get the image you wanted? You know what I mean? Like I'm still working on images on that paper that I still haven't fully solidified. And we're talking about like 15 years later, you know? So like, it's one of those things people don't like to work with it, I think, because it's hard to work with. But if you want to do a true flex of how great of a film photographer you are, show me your greatest enhanced matte print or show me even better, your Ilford matte multi-grade print. Because that's extremely difficult to get a certain articulation and 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 the t- right tonal range that you're looking for so like you know it's supposed to be matte so it's going to dampen everything as it is and kind of not necessarily wash it out but you're not going to have a true black because of the matte you know characteristics of the paper get-go, that's something you have to accept so that's something you have to work with but you know i like split filtering when i do any dark room anything so I always do double zeros and fives on literally every print I do. Yeah, I literally so. just did that the entire, uh, right up until COVID-19. I literally, that's the only way I printed, you know, for about, I guess, two months. <laughs> zeros and fives? Yeah. I'm all about it. I have my own filters all the time. So Do you start with the, the zeros or the fives? You have to mitigate your highlights before you mitigate your shadows. Mm-hmm. So you, so, so you, so you started with the, um, the zeros. 
I start with the double zero, correct. And so you and so you've got to get that dialed in. And then when you throw that five on there, that's you not your black. That's you not your black. Play. Yeah, because I was told the other way. I did it all the different ways. I did my test strips from you know. My professor told me to start with the black. Get your black, then find your 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 you know zero zero. And I I did all kinds of different ways, and I still don't know enough about it to speak. Now you did. You definitely find your highlights first because when you do a split filter like that, the first thing you want to find is the highlight because now you need to fill in the shadow. So when you do your split filter, I don't know how you've been trained to do it, but it's two exposures for me. So I literally expose my double zeros first and then I yes. expose my five first. So yes, that's what I was doing. Your, your, your highlights are resolved now. So now all you're doing is darkening your shadows. But you do get some effect get a, mid oh absolutely you do but yeah. you get you at least get the tonal range you want but if you're doing zeros and fives you already know you're going to get a high contrast photo True. so right. you already know that you're doing that so i would assume that you've already been shooting your 25a filter you know you've right. already been sh you know what i mean so yeah right that's all purposeful but yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know when you're shooting it what you're going to be printing or how yeah, you're, you're not. You're not shooting whatever and then doing double zeros. And you, yeah, that's not how that works. Right. <laughs> but I found that really enjoyable, you know, um, so much so that I might at some point have to build reluctantly some kind of way to process prints at my house. Um, super again, easy, not, man. Yeah. Super, super easy. Um, yeah. What size film do you intend on using? Actually, that doesn't even matter. Um, you can do uh, what they call an oatmeal can 35 millimeter, uh, pro uh, not projector, God damn it. Uh, enlarger? Enlarger. So, you know, obviously do this in a dark room, but the oatmeal can holds, you know, the negative holder. And the camera is your objective. So that's your aperture and that's your, your focus. Mm -hmm. And you have, you have the shutter, so you just use the cable release, hold it in bulb, and you count the seconds you need. And you just let it go. That's killer. But yeah. yeah, that works. And you just put your light on top of the negative, the negative holder, you know? Right. But yeah, I, I mean, that... Days, it's not hard to find a, an Omega for nearly nothing. I mean... People are just yeah, but or, you know who who can store something like that? That's true. Size just, is a problem. Yeah, everyone's got a thirty-five manual thirty-five, and everyone knows what an oatmeal can looks like. You know what I mean? <laughs> From there, you just get your little broomstick, tape it down, and you just make your little height. I mean, that sounds your fun. Focus. Now I'm almost sad I spoke to you because it <laughs> put me on another chase. Right. <laughs> Next, we'll talk about caffeinol and developing film with red wine. I've heard about shit. that too. I've done, I, don't, I don't even want to know. You know, I've been shooting a lot of <laughs> four by five, and I, I don't, I'm purposely never shot eight by ten because I'm afraid I'll like it too much. So, um, too old a cheap to way. Thing, there's a cheap way to do four by five and eight by ten. So, you just get that Fuji X-ray film, and it, it's an ISO of thirty-two, and you really? just develop it like regular. You can even do. Uh, you can do. Um, God damn it! Uh, Scala reversal and get a, neck, a positive out of it too. So, what a trip. and they sell that shit on Amazon. And you could buy it in eight by ten sheets if you're shooting four by five. You cut it in fours. There you go. What a trip. And it's cheap, man. It's really, really, really cheap. Really wow. cheap. So there's no excuse. 
No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, unless you don't have a four by five camera then. Right. Yeah. No, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. Cameras, you know, I mean, they're so cheap and, but they break a lot. I, I've gone through a lot of Bronicas and I've gone through a lot of cameras and I'm not like you where I can fix them. <laughs> so they just pile up and I just buy another one, you know. Well, keep them, man, because then one day they'll all be able to fix each other. Right. Right. So, so, someone will start 3D printing parts for some random Bronica, XTS, whatever, <laughs> ZTS or whatever. True, huh? Yeah. I mean, there are, well, people are already printing lens boards. I mean, are they really? Yeah, really? like I, I used to have a Linhoff system. I sold it. I, this is when I knew I don't care about film anymore. I, I don't do four by five. I only do Hasselblad, Rolly, and smaller. But just because it's not pertinent to my workflow anymore. Yeah. And, it, and, I, and I only make money off the Hasselblad anyway. Like, no one hires or, me like for Like portrait? Else. Or what do you use the Hasselblad for? So I've traveled the country, you know, photographing some stuff for some grants for some other artists. Um, I'll give you an example. I did some work with an artist. He goes by Pardon My Hindi. Um, you know, he's done stuff at the Asian Art Museum and at uh, Human Resources down in LA. Okay. Um, and we went down to South Texas and we photographed Gudrachi communities that own hotels. So I was, I was, Typically, th these families live on the on the hotel premises. Okay. And I was allowed in their personal spaces and photographing the dichotomy of, like, Indian Hindu culture, you know, Indian Jain culture with American culture. That's interesting. You know what I mean? So it was to document all of this, but uh, with a grant. Um, he had a grant from the Smithsonian. I, I have nothing to do with any of that grant shit. Yeah, yeah. All I did was just take my stupid Hasselblad, buy a bunch of Portra 400 and 800, and just pull the trigger. All at box? I'm sorry? Um, you shot that all at box? Yeah, yeah, all at yeah, box. Yeah. Um, but at that time, I had this obsession with Rattan filters, so like I was using the whole you know filter setup, my, my fucking color meter, 3F, dialing in all of the exact color temperature and shooting it straight onto the film perfectly. Wow. So once, once I did, cause I didn't, I didn't do the scanning. Frank actually did the scanning for this project. There was no color correcting involved because it was already oh, done. You were doing it in camera. That's how I was trained, sir. I don't crop either. I've never cropped an image. I don't believe so in you, that. So you're, so you're composing, you're doing the whole thing. You're, you're actually looking through the viewfinder. Um, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, most of the time. Um, you have your focal length memorized on certain focal lengths, dude. I I have lenses where I had the, and I had to etch my focal length and measure it myself. Um, I've got a custom six by nine camera, for example, that uses a Zeiss eighty millimeter two eight planar, um, and it has a Horseman back, but. It's all custom, no viewfinder, no rangefinder. So I just etch that shit in and compose it. And, you know, I do use a bubble level, so I at least know that I'm parallel to the marching okay. surface. So that's a, I, I cheat. I cheat a little bit, I guess. But but that's an interesting thing, you know, because um, I probably told you already, but 
there's a class where I took where they made us blindfold ourselves and take pictures. And oh, is that based on this book? Seeing Beyond Sight? I've done that exercise before. Oh, I don't, you know, he didn't say that. It's um, a guy, a, a really good printer, a guy named Rob Johnson. He used to be the head of the college that Frank and I went to, and he used to oh. print your Ansel Adams and all that crap, you know, and, but he made us do that. And he told us this might be one of the best pictures you'll ever take in your life. And we were blindfolded. <laughs> but you know so, what? He was right. Like the picture I have, it's back here. It was one of the best pictures I've ever taken. I didn't, you know, I learned so much from that exercise. Because you feel it and you smell it and you hear it. Yeah. So that and exercise. Also, we kind of fuck things up when we're looking through that eyepiece. You know, if we're overthinking a thing or I don't know. There's something to that knowing your focal length and just. Yeah, I, there is something to it. I, I enjoyed that exercise. Just to touch on it really quick. It's developed because that organization taught blind teenagers how to photograph. Oh, is that the background? Okay. Yeah, that's the background. So that instructor developed this exercise. So, you know, the mentor uh, mentors would be able to kind of slightly understand and experience what these kids are going through. So they would take them out in public even, and they'd be blindfolded themselves. That's what we did. We shot in yeah. campus. We'd have somebody there in case we walk off a bridge or something. Yeah, that, it's, that's from that book. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and they did that in the 70s. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, they did that in the 70s. Um, yeah. But I guess going back to that viewfinder stuff, like I guess part of the reason why I don't like 4 by 5 it's too slow, but I do medium format because all I need is 12 shots of that. I get stressed out when I have film left over. So I agree. When I have 36 shots, like I have rolls of film that take years to go through. Yeah, <laughs> I, I won't even load 36. I only load 24, and even that – is way too much for me. It's too much. Yeah. It's too much. I agree with that. 12, that's a good point. Well, darn, I might have to think about, you know, getting a Hossi or uh, dusting off one of my, my, um, my other 120s. It's a fun, you know, it's a fun thing to do. I don't do these things for, as you were implying before, you know, to be superior, but I just never got to do it. So it's fun, you know. So I like to try all the toys, you know, and I still, I feel that making a picture is really about the person. I really don't think the gear matters at, at all, to be honest with you. Um, I just think it's whatever you are, you know, that makes the picture and where you but are. That's part of the character too, though, you know. Yeah, it might. Like, yeah. Like if you think about like Ricky Powell, Ricky Powell's hanging in the moment. All he carried was a Minolta Hymatic too. Yeah. So like, it's just part of the character. Like, that's true. I, you know, I, I personally, I just choose that just cause I'm just conscious of oppression and all that kind of stuff. And right. That, that's just me. I mean, I don't look down on anybody who doesn't shoot or isn't aware of that. That's right. just, just me, you know? Right. right. Like I, I wear a blue shirt today. Like it's just that simple to me. I yeah, like yeah. Charmin toilet paper over seventh generation toilet paper. Like it's just a preference. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. There's that, too. Yeah. But, um, but uh, I don't know. You've helped me to think about some of those things. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, now actually maybe want to take a picture. I haven't wanted to take a picture in a month, you know. Yeah, you, you made me want to run out there, too. I had a buddy 
um, on Instagram who sent me a roll of that Cinestill double X and I want to throw it into my, my AF 35 ML. I haven't sh shot that shit in a long time and just see what happens. You, what do you know about that stock? Have you, is that the first time or have you played with it? it it's my first time. He introduced it to me. This dude's, this dude only shoots film. Okay. Um, yeah, he, it, maybe follow him. Photo Jobo, F-O-T-O-J-O-B-O. -O -O. Okay. Um, he's a retired military guy too. I think he's probably closer to your age. I assume you're like within 10 years older than me. I'm 36. Oh so, yeah, I'm 55. I'm 56. Oh, okay. Shit. Oh, you're 20 years older than me. All right. Okay. <laughs> Well, y'all are probably closer in age, I'd imagine, but okay. yeah, he he swears by that stuff, and he's one of those dudes that I only shoot a Leica and a Hasselblad like kind of guy too. Um, but he's he's not he's definitely not a dick, surprisingly. Um, yeah, and I think he's surprised that I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> but but we send each other stuff, so like he sent me some film, I sent them back some film. Frank and I got a got a hold of some safety film from back in the day. So I sent them some of that. Um, I had some 120, um, 110 film that I got. So I sent them, you know, a brick of, 120, oh, of 110. 110. So, like, I, I have that whole Pentax SLR 110 set. I have two of them, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't really fuck with that too much, you know. Yeah. I, I just... I just stick to my stupid printing and my stupid scanning. <laughs> That that would be like a hobby. Like if I started shooting that, you know, right? <laughs> that would be a hobby. Well, that sounds like fun. I, I hope you have fun with that stock. And and uh, thanks for getting me curious again. Um, and and again, sure. hopefully we can and, talk again. You know. Yeah, man. And any any film you might need, dude. I've like I've mentioned before. I, I have that whole fridge that my wife made me get, and I've got I got stuff he might be into. You know, I've a bunch of that Kodak Ultra Color. Vivid Color is my favorite. So I've got, I have my own 200 roll reserve of that. That's cool. Um, I, have, I have the original NC400, NC160. So and that's just color stuff. I have the original oh. Acros. So anything you want to try out, man, I'd be more than happy to send you. Sweet. Well, we'll do a little swap. I got some film in my fridge. A lot of photographers send me stuff and, and uh, we'll, you know, I'll send you some, we'll do some care packages soon. Yeah, if you're doing four by five, I might still have some of that stuff left to send. Okay, yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for talking, and, uh, you know, I'll see you soon. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to be watching. I know you don't do a lot of social media, but I'll be watching uh, to see the stuff you make, you know, with great hey, interest. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, Ken. I definitely keep an eye on you, so I, I started following you. Okay. Thanks, Michael. I'll talk to you. I'm going to end the meeting. I'll talk to you uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very soon. All right. See you, Ken. Have a good one. You too.